Hey there, my name is Vosh. I live stream on YouTube and Twitch, and sometimes I even upload the good bits. This is Previously Live. You guys remember that, that researcher we looked at, the Mearshimmer, John Mearshimmer? Back in 2014, he did a video on why Ukraine is the West's fault. Well, I really don't like this guy. Um, if you look right here, you'll see the video, Why is Ukraine the West's Fault, has 22 million views. When we looked over it about a month ago, it had a quarter of that. It had about 6 million. This video is the main video people are pushing on the, like, Ukraine conflict, and it's one which, like, defends Russia pretty directly. Uh, and that's not great. All right. I'll talk about the causes of the present crisis, uh, and I'd like to speculate on where this is all headed. Now, with regard to the causes, it's very important to understand that who caused this situation is of tremendous importance because it involves assigning blame. Uh, oh, oh, right off the bat. Oh, my God. It turns out that his analysis is about moralizing and making moral statements. <laughs> okay. You really have two choices here. You can argue that the West and especially the United States caused the crisis. Uh, or you can argue that the Russians caused the crisis. But that means that whoever you argue caused the crisis is responsible for this disaster. And it is important. That's a childishly simplistic way of looking at global events, but okay. Like, you can either say they did it, or you can say they did it. But that's like, then that's it. Like, okay. To understand that this is a disaster. Uh, Ukraine has lost Crimea. Uh, it's, in my opinion, going to lose the Donbass. Uh, and the only interesting question to me at this point is whether it's also going to lose more territory uh, in the eastern part of its country. Uh, furthermore, uh, Ukraine's economy is wrecked. Uh, it's city Right off the bat, I love the language here where he's just saying lost, not conquered by Russia. These are in the process of being wrecked. Uh, the international economy is going to be badly affected by these events as they go on. These events. Uh, this is going to have terrible consequences, I think, for the Democrats in the fall. Furthermore, it makes it difficult for the United States to pivot out of uh, Europe and pivot to China, where there is a potential threat, which is China. Uh, furthermore, we're driving the Russians into the arms of the Chinese, which makes no sense at all. And all what? Is he implying that if we had just let Ukraine be conquered by Russia, that Russia would join our geopolitical bloc instead of China's? What? That is insane! This guy is a PhD? That is ridiculous. That is an incredibly stupid thing to say. Well, at the same time, we're making Eastern Europe a very unstable region. Uh, we, we? Us? We're doing that? Us? Is this video from 2014, though? No. It's from two weeks ago. Uh, and therefore forcing us to, if anything, up the ante there. 
so this is a disastrous situation. So the question of who caused it and who bears the blame really matters. Now, the conventional wisdom in the United States and in the West more generally. It's incredible how we're two minutes in and he's never said Russia invaded. You know, like he's talked about all these consequences and at no point has that even factored in. Uh, is that the Russians are responsible for this. And in particular, Vladimir Putin is responsible. Uh, as I'm sure almost all of you know, I don't buy this argument at all, and I haven't bought it for a long time. In my opinion, the West bears primarily, primary responsibility uh, for what is happening today. And it was largely a result of a decision uh, in April 2006 to make Ukraine and to make Georgia uh, a part of NATO. We were going to integrate uh, Ukraine into NATO come hell or high water. Now, the Russians... Come hell or high water? We just said, we just, we rejected them and said, like, we will in the future. It, it's, it's just like an invitation to a group. It's not like, it's not like NATO emissaries were, like, climbing the Alps to try to bring the, the NATO crystals to Ukraine. What, what? The language he uses is as biased and as emotionally loaded as any, like, Republican politician. I don't know why people, like, front this guy as though he's some kind of impartial realist analysis said at the time that this is categorically unacceptable. Uh, the Russians made it clear that they had swallowed the first two tranches of NATO expansion, the 99 expansion and the 2004 expansion, but Georgia and Ukraine were not going to become part of NATO. Uh, they were drawing a line in the sand. They said this is an existential threat to us. And indeed, wow. in August of that year, of course, August 2008, you had a war involving the Russians and the Georgians over the whole issue of whether or not Georgia would become part. We're going to hear how it's an existential threat? We're we just going to take their word, the word of the autocratic Russian government. Just repeat that. Okay. Of NATO. Uh, now, it's important to understand that when we talk about Western policy and we focus on NATO and expansion of NATO into Ukraine, that actually Western policy had three prongs to it. Uh, the core prong was definitely integrating Ukraine into NATO. But the other two prongs were integrating Ukraine into the European Union and turning Ukraine into a pro-Western liberal democracy, in effect, uh, putting in place the Orange Revolution. Uh, and these three prongs of the strategy were all designed to make Ukraine... I like how the way this is being framed right here completely destroys the idea that Ukraine might independently want these things, you know? Like, oh, ah, yes, democracy, you know, like something we had to force on them. Like, yeah, of course we want countries to be allied with us and to trade with us, but the framing here makes it seem as though Ukraine is nothing more than a puppet. This is something that everyone on Russia's side does. They make it so that Ukraine is just this emotionless, devoid of agency pawn, which is batted back and forth between Russia and America, and because Russia is closer to Ukraine than America, they get the pawn. Like, they always want to frame it that way. What Ukraine wants is never, ever, ever, ever of... um of a relevance to them. A pro-Western country, a country in the West orbit sitting on Russia's border. And again, the Russians made it unequivocally clear at the time um, that this was not going to happen. Now, the first crisis broke out in February 2014. The way I like to think about this is that you had a major crisis in February 2014, broke out that date. Then you had a major crisis breaking out in December of last year, that's December 2021, and on February 24th of this year, the war started. Now, what about this crisis in February of 2014? February. Not crisis. It's, it, you can't say invasion. See, 
the reason I keep harping on this is because people posit this guy like he's some kind of impartial analyst, but the words he uses are chosen carefully like a propagandist, you know? He, if he was only interested in talking about, you know, an impartial geopolitical analysis of the situation, he would call this an invasion, Russia's invasion of Ukraine. That's the simplest and the most accurate description of what's taking place. The ambiguity is deliberate. It's meant to obfuscate the truth. 22nd, to be exact. It was precipitated in large part by uh, a coup that was supported by the United States that took place in Ukraine and resulted in a pro-Russian leader, President Yanukovych, being overthrown and being replaced by a pro-American prime minister. Uh, the Russians found this intolerable. So this is, of course, an incredibly dishonest framing of what took place. The pro-Russian guy was heavily corrupt and was trying to implement a massive authoritarian crackdown. Um, like, really insane shit. Like, just, like, full-on mass arrest. You know, he was leading protests that were killing people. Russia was putting pressure on him to kill more people in the protests. He was then ousted by the people of Ukraine, and an interim leader was put in place for a short time before they held additional elections. There was no, like, uh, military, you know, junta or whatever who took power. It wasn't some, like, rival faction destroying their democracy to seize control. They just ousted the one guy and found afterwards what they had thought to be true. He was a puppet and incredibly corrupt. You know, that's based. This is democracy pilled. And he talks about it like the U.S. backed it. The U.S. backed it in the sense that we supported the protesters, which any moral person should. It wasn't U.S. backed in the sense that we sent like troops or soldiers or whatever. But he frames it this way. He has that ambiguity because he wants people watching to think, oh, so it was like what the U.S. did in Latin America, where we sent, where we like funded, you know, like, uh, 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 you know, like, like militia groups to take over democratically elected governments and replace them with fascists. Yeah, like, that's what he wants people to think when he says that. Uh, at the same time, they were debating uh, with the West and with the Ukrainians over EU expansion. And always in the background at that point in time was NATO expansion. Uh, this blew up and uh, it had two consequences. One is that the Russians, in effect, took Crimea away from Ukraine for themselves. They had no intention of ever letting Sevastopol become a NATO. And the second thing that happened. What, what, what did he say there? What the fuck was from Ukraine for themselves. They had no intention of ever letting Sevastopol become a The second thing that happened is that the Okay, let's just chalk that one up to Putin censored his point. I have no idea. The Russians helped foster a civil war in eastern Ukraine. And of course, that civil war festered well after 2014. But the crisis really blew up in 2014. Then, starting about mid-year, and really heating up at the end of last year, I would say in December 2021, was a second major crisis. And the question is, what caused it? I just, I do have to say, by the way, I really appreciate how U.S.-backed coup um, in 2014 just got as much, in fact, more description and more attention than Russia uh, funding a proxy war for eight years, giving weapons and military support to a group of Russian separatists in the East that shelled and conquered cities and killed tens of thousands of people. I, li I like how those two things are given, like, roughly equal narrative weight, you know? Like, well, the U.S. cheered on protesters, and then, you know, like, yeah, Russia led a proxy war for eight years that it, they gave them equipment, rocket artillery, you know, like they shot down a commercial plane, killed civilians, you know, like, well, you know, give and take, huh? 
this crisis. And in my opinion, it was caused largely by the fact that Ukraine was becoming a de facto member of NATO. It's commonplace in the West, especially in Washington these days, to say that Ukraine had nothing to fear regarding, uh, excuse me, the United States had nothing to fear, well, start, Russia had nothing to fear regarding Ukraine becoming part of NATO. And Russia had nothing to fear because NATO was doing nothing to move forward Ukraine's incorporation into NATO. Even if Ukraine joined NATO, Russia still has nothing to fear. NATO. I think in a de jure sense, that's absolutely correct. But in a de facto way, that's wrong. What we were doing was we were arming the Ukrainians. And you want to remember, it's President Trump in December of 2017, who, who was under great pressure, who decided to arm the Ukrainians. So we were arming the Ukrainians, uh, we were training okay. the Ukrainians, and we were forming ever closer diplomatic ties with the Ukrainians. Okay. And this- Which, by the way, the Ukrainians wanted. The reason those protests started back in 2014 was because the Russian puppet of a president they had made the decision to uh, have an exclusive trade agreement with Russia and not do business with the EU, which would have been objectively worse for the country. The people of Ukraine wanted that. They want that. Spooked the Russians. It especially spooked the Russians in the summer of last year when the Ukrainian military used drones against Russian forces in the Donbass region. It especially spooked the Russians. Now, why are Russian forces in the Donbass region which is a region of Ukraine. What, what is the issue with Ukraine using drones to kill Russian forces in Ukraine? Do you guys remember when Fox News was, like, outraged that some, like, Latin American leader said they would kill U.S. soldiers on their soil or something? Was it Venezuela? It was in Venezuela, wasn't it? It was, it was, it was like, this leader says that they'll kill U.S. soldiers in their territory. It's like, yeah? Okay. <laughs> All right. Godspeed? Last summer when the British drove a destroyer through territorial waters, Russian territorial waters in the Black Sea. It especially spooked the Russians in November uh, when we were flying bombers within 13 miles of the Russian coast. Ah, he's trying to frame it as though Russia's afraid of invasion. He's, he is such a propagandist. This is incredible. Um... This is such an incredible uh, uh, propaganda weight right here. Oh yeah, dude, Russia, the country with thousands of nuclear warheads, is super duper spooked by like enemy forces being near their borders. Yeah, dude, they're just, they're quaking in their boots. So all these events coupled with this de facto, uh, de also notice how he's exclusively talking about stuff the Russian government perceived as aggressive and spending no time at all talking about aggression Russia took on Ukraine. Like, Russia constantly violates, yeah, EU airspace. Russia constantly threatens military action. Russia constantly makes threats, constantly postures war, constantly does all this stuff. But none of that's getting any attention. Nor the eight-year proxy war they led in the Donbass region. You know, none of that. In fact, uh, bringing of... Ukraine into NATO pushed the Russians to what Sergei Lavrov said was the boiling point. Pushed the Russians. Russia can't have agency either because then they would make a decision and decisions can be criticized. They're victims. 
you know, Lavrov was asked in January why the Russians uh, had reached this point uh, and why we were in the midst of a crisis. And he said, Lavrov said in January, we had reached our boiling point. First expansion of NATO, second expansion of NATO, and then all of these events. This is like the fourth time he cited what Russian officials say? And just saying it at face value? Are we getting any like U.S. State Department perspectives? No, I didn't think so. Like, why, why would you do this, you know? Ah, yes, my totally impartial analysis of the situation. Associated with Ukraine. The Russians had had it. So you had a crisis of massive proportions, which of course resulted on February 24th in the um, uh, Russians invading Ukraine. And we are oh, now we finally in got the that midst word. of a real war. This is not just a civil war in eastern Ukraine, which is what we had before February 24th, uh, we now have a real war. Well, a proxy war. Civil war is exclusively conducted by people within a country. Russia explicitly pushed for, I mean, did everything they could to, to, to force that civil war. So this brings us to the question of what is the conventional wisdom on this subject? And how do I think about the opposing argument? The opposing argument is that this has nothing to do with NATO expansion. It's really quite remarkable. When, when you listen to people in the administration speak, uh, and when you read uh, editorials in, in the Washington Post, uh, how correct they are about how NATO expansion isn't actually at fault here. It's like this is spoken. This has absolutely nothing to do with NATO expansion. I, I don't know how anybody can say that. The Russians have been saying since April 2008. That oh, the Russians. Oh, my. <laughs> Is this a joke? You wouldn't believe what these American State Department agents have been saying. It's ridiculous. If you listen to these Russian State Department officials, then is this a joke? Seriously? Do we really need a PhD to regurgitate like Russian government talking points? This is all about NATO expansion. Damn, that's crazy. NATO expansion into Ukraine is an existential threat to them. Yeah, and hey guys, how long was America saying that invading Iraq was about deposing Saddam Hussein and bringing democracy to the region? Like, come on. Seriously? Come on. This is pathetic. This is genuinely pathetic. Ah, yeah, dude. Uh, Germany's uh, conquest of Europe was genuinely because the international Jewry were like, shut, shut the fuck up. Jesus Christ. But Americans simply refuse to believe that. Not all Americans, but many Americans, and certainly the policy elite in this country. And instead, what they have done is they've created a story that it is not American policy. It's not NATO expansion that's driving this train. Instead, it's... Also notice, by the way, how he exclusively talks about America when what he's actually referring to is NATO. That's another, that's another really, really, really common sign of a person repeating RT talking points, Russian propaganda, because Russian propagandists want it to feel like an America versus Russia thing, because that frames America as farther away as the imperialist. But if they frame it as what it actually is, NATO versus Russia, well, NATO includes Eastern European countries. Now, all of a sudden, the conflict, the difference is much, much, much closer to Russia. It doesn't feel like some distant hegemon, you know, weighing in on European affairs. Now it feels like what it actually is. Europe and America disagreeing with the behavior of Russia. It's Vladimir Putin. And it's the fact that Vladimir Putin is either bent on recreating the Soviet Union or he's interested in creating a greater Russia. But whichever one of those two outcomes you take, he is ultimately an expansionist. He, he explicitly said it was a mistake for Lenin to cede autonomy to, to this region. 
uh, we need to rebuild the Russian Empire. He said this explicitly. He said this explicitly and directly, unambiguously. He said that directly. He's on the march. And thank God we expanded NATO, because if we hadn't expanded NATO, he'd probably be in Berlin by now, if not Paris. This is the basic argument. W wait, what? Paris was already in NATO. So was Berlin. No? The argument would be that he would be in Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Poland. No, not... I have never heard anyone say if it weren't for NATO's expansion, he would be in Paris. France was already in NATO. Okay. Uh, he is an aggressor. There are a number of problems with that argument. Uh -huh. First of all, before February 22nd, 2014, nobody was arguing that he was aggressor. Nobody was arguing that NATO expanded. What? He invaded Georgia in 2008. What? Can I get a debate with this guy? Is this smartest PhD haver, apparently. Is this a joke? Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah, Berlin's in East Germany, I know, but there was already an agreement that East Germany would be made a part of NATO after the, after the, the breakup of the Soviet Union. Um, what the fuck? <laughs> they were caught... Putin has been called an expansionist for a long time. Yeah, both of the Chechen wars. Yeah. France left NATO and rejoined 2009. Okay, okay, but that's not really relevant. to Expansion yeah. was required for the purposes of containing Russia before February 22nd, 2014. Uh, we didn't think he was a problem. The Chechen wars were under Yeltsin? Wasn't, okay, that's true, but didn't Putin, like, support them when he came into office? Like, like when Putin came into office, it's not like he was saying, you know, we are ending the 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 time of expansionist Russian. Like, I, I'm pretty sure, like, he, he he never ran on being like the, you know, um, peaceful type. I think. And in fact, when the crisis broke out on February 22nd, 2014, we were actually shocked. If you go back and look at the newspapers at the time, the Obama administration was caught with its pants down. Why? Because they didn't think that. Wait, how was the Obama administration caught with its pants down because Russia decided to annex Crimea? What, what would we have done there? What could we have... What do you... Like, we were shocked because it's shocking when territory is annexed. Like, okay? That, that's not getting outsmarted by the Russian... Okay. The Ukraine... Excuse me, that the Russians were aggressive. But of course, we had to invent the story after the crisis broke out so that we weren't blamed for what happened. What? We had to blame the Russians. What? For the annexation of Crimea? How the fuck would America get blamed for that? What? Uh, what is this logic? No, no one thought Putin was an expansionist until 2014 when the Obama administration was humiliated by him annexing Crimea. Then they had to manufacture the narrative that he was an expansionist so that it wasn't there. For what the fuck does this mean? I I need to get a debate with this guy. What is what is this guy's current job? Hold on, I have his Wikipedia thing up here. Where does he currently work? Where is he faculty? Um, institute. Where, where is he currently? American Political Science International Realist School of Thought. He is the R. Wendell Harrington Distinguished Service Professor at the University of Chicago. University of Chicago. Okay, we need to find a way to talk with this guy. I will crush this guy. Okay, I will I will commit ageism to him. All right, I will he I I will make him disintegrate. Okay. We, we got to talk to this guy. We have to make this happen.
check out his website. You can contact him. Ooh. All right. I'll see if I can't make this happen. I hope everyone watching this right now is fully capable of appreciating how bad and incoherent this guy's arguments are. So we created the story. Second reason you want to doubt this is that Putin has never said that he is bent on recreating uh, the Soviet Union or he's bent on... I think this video might have been before then? Wait, maybe. When did he say that? Hold on. Putin, speech, blood, and soil. Just because it was released here doesn't mean this was when this was recorded. I, Okay, this video was released two days after the blood and soil speech, I think. Oh, no, wait, no! The blood and soil speech was way earlier! This is literally... He, yeah, he, he literally talked about seeking to restore the Russian Empire. What, what's, the, what's the specific quote there? Okay, so, grievances. He clearly stated the processes that led to Russia losing territory a century ago must be reversed. He pointed out what he said were catastrophic mistakes by the Bolsheviks in recognizing Ukraine as a republic and ceding land to end the war with Germany in 2018. He lamented the loss not of the Soviet Union, but of the territory of the former Russian Empire. Oh, 1918, not 2018, obviously. You're reading it right there. 1918, you can see it right here, guys. Jesus, I'm tired, okay? My God. This is from 2014. This would have been during the 2014 crisis. I'm pretty sure that Putin has been pushing for expansionist rhetoric for literally his entire career. I'm pretty sure this guy, like, it's not like, he, it's not like he's ever not been a fascist, right? I'm pretty sure he's been doing this forever, right? creating a greater Russia. He's never said he was bent on conquering Ukraine and integrating it into Russia. There's no question. I mean, he, he did though, but. In his heart, he thinks that uh, uh, it would be appropriate for Ukraine to be part of Russia. In his heart, he's made it clear he'd love back to bring back the Soviet Union. But he's also explicitly said that in his head, he fully understands that this is a bad idea. So if you look at what he said. What? I, okay, I don't know what point he's trying to make here. Said, there's no reason to think he's bent on recreating the Soviet Union or creating a greater Russia. To take this a step further, he doesn't have the capability. He doesn't have the capability for two reasons. First, okay. The argument that he doesn't want to and the argument that he doesn't have the ability are two extremely different arguments because I very much agree with the latter. Uh, he got bogged down a hundred miles into, on the path towards Kiev, okay? I agree with that. Um, but uh, 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 he, he, is, he has explicitly said that he thinks that the territory that used to be part of the Russian Empire should still be part of Russia. I mean... First of all, he doesn't have a big enough military. This is a country whose gross national product is smaller than Texas's. 
right? This is not the former Soviet Union in its heyday. Furthermore, the Russians understand that occupying country in, occupying countries or occupying territory in Eastern Europe is a prescription for big trouble. Most of us... Then why are they doing it? The, clearly, they... Do they understand? What, what, what are they doing then? I'm very confused. On this call, old enough to remember the Cold War and all the trouble that the Soviets had. Think East Germany, 1953, Hungary, 1956, Czechoslovakia, 1968, constant trouble with the Poles. And one could argue that the Romanians and the Albanians were the biggest pain in the necks they ever faced. Wow, it sounds like they keep doing it then. What, what point is it supposed to prove? Hey, remember the other 18 times they tried occupying territory in an unfriendly region? They've learned their lesson by now. Like, okay. In the middle of their invasion of Ukraine. The Russians are surely sophisticated enough to know that not only do they not have the capability, but that occupying Ukraine, occupying the Baltic states, would be like swallowing a porcupine. This would be crazy. Then so why? I think there's hardly any evidence to support that. And the final point I'd make is if you look at what the Russians are doing militarily in Ukraine at the moment, it does not look like they're bent on conquering the country at all. This video was published long after the full invasion had begun. Long after. This, this video was published well after the full-on invasion of Ukraine had taken place. Occupying it and integrating it into a greater Russia. But anyway. But, but then, then what are they doing? The, uh, oh, okay. Uh, Russia would never seek to occupy unfriendly territory. And also, by what they're doing right now, uh, it's pretty clear that, you know, they're not trying for a full-on invasion. Okay, what, what are they doing then? What are they? Here we are. And I think everybody is very interested in the question of where we go from here. So let me say a few words about that. First of all, let me start with U.S. policy. U.S. policy is to double down. That's what we're going to do. This is what we did after 2014. Instead of reevaluating and saying maybe NATO expansion is not such a good idea, we went in the opposite direction. This is why I'm telling you that... Based. Based America. Based anarcho-natoism. Yes! We see Russia threaten aggression. We say, hey, you're going to be brought into NATO. We see Russia do invasion. We say, yeah, you're still going to get into NATO. Goddamn right. It, by 2021, the Russians understood that we were turning Ukraine into a de facto member of NATO. They understood that. Good. Based. Uh, so what we did after 2014 is double down. And what we're going to do now and what we're doing now is doubling down. And what does that mean? We're encouraging the Ukrainians to resist. Jesus Christ. Most educated rape apologist. Okay. Yeah. Yes. All right. We're not going to fight for them. You understand? We're going to fight to the last Ukrainian, but we're not going to do any of the fighting. They're on their own in that regard. Y y yeah. Obviously. Y yes what yeah of course we don't want nuclear war it looks like the audio desynced with the visuals for him hopefully that resyncs soon but we're going to arm them and do what we can to train oh, them at this late date okay. and hope that they can hang in there Never mind. 
uh, and uh, and duke it out with the Russians. And nobody believes they're going to defeat the Russians, but maybe you'll get a stalemate. Now, the question you have... That is defeating the Russians. If Ukraine fights Russia to a stalemate, that is a win for Ukraine unambiguously. That is a massive win. They ask yourself, this is really the key question, is what are the Russians going to do, right? Uh, it seems to me that a lot of people in the West think that uh, if the Ukrainians provide enough resistance, the Russians will roll over and play dead. Uh, or maybe Vladimir Putin will throw his hands up, he'll surrender, he'll say, this was all a bad idea, uh, I regret doing it. Uh, or maybe there'll be a coup in Moscow, he'll be overthrown, and they'll bring in leaders who will work out a deal with us, and Ukraine will live happily ever after, we will nice. live happily ever after, and the Russians will be chastened. I've spent my entire adult life studying great power politics, I know a lot about great power politics. This is not the way the world works, and it is certainly not the way the Russians work. You want to understand, going back to what I said about the April 2008 decision, the Russians said at the time, this is an existential threat. This is an existential threat. Okay. Right? So Don't the Russians say that about, like, everything, though? Like... The Russians have threatened nuclear war like 400,000 times. Anytime they do, like anytime anything they don't like happens, that's their immediate go-to because they have no economic power to leverage. So all they have is like their gigantic nuclear arsenal. Even before the current war, Ukraine and Ukraine becoming part of NATO was viewed as an existential threat. Now you're talking about a situation where you defeat the Russians in Ukraine. This is a much worse outcome for the Russians than what happened in April 2008, and a much uh -huh. worse outcome than what happened in February 2014. Uh -huh. And the Russians are not going to roll over and play dead. In fact, what the Russians are going to do is they're going to crush the Ukrainians. They're going to bring out the big guns. They're going to turn... Wait, I thought in this scenario they just lost. Wait, what? So if they lose to Ukraine, they're, they're just going to win? Oh, oh no, we lost to Ukraine. They fought us to a stalemate time for us to win okay do we mean nuclear weapons if that's the case the world ends turn places like kiev and other cities in ukraine into rubble they're going to do fallujahs they're going to do mosuls they're going to do groznies you know what happened in world war ii when the united states was faced with the possibility of having to invade the Japanese home islands in early 1945. The idea of invading the Japanese home islands after what happened at Iwo Jima and then later what happened in Okinawa really spooked us. So you know what we did? We decided to burn Japanese cities to the ground starting on March 10th, 1945. We killed more people the first night we fought. Wow. You know, I thought that I've heard some bad international relations take, but I've never heard a PhD international relations scholar equate using the nukes in World War II to using the nukes in the modern world. That is incredible. I, I cannot fathom how stupid you would have to be, how uneducated you would have to be on this subject to equate the political viability of using nuclear weapons back when they had never been used before and only we had them, and using them today when we've had half a century of if either side does it, the world ends. Firebomb Tokyo, then we killed it either. Oh, are they talking about the Tokyo firebombings? Oh, okay. Well, is he going to bring up nukes? Wait, hold on. If Russia was capable of just leveling Kiev, all right, God, Russia can't even afford to put oil in its tanks or gas in its tanks. 
Russia can barely afford to keep its failing fucking infrastructure together. You seriously think Russia, which is already, like, economically crippled and can barely, like, fuel its tank fleets, is gonna be able to mass a bomber fleet to destroy Kyiv? Do you seriously think- Do you have any- Okay, guys, I'm actually asking you. Do you have any idea how expensive, um, uh, uh, fueling and arming bombers are? Do you have any idea? It is insane. You can do a read-up on, like, bomber maintenance. First of all, I'm willing to bet that the majority of the bombers that Russia has in its hangars are inoperable. Like, they would need millions and millions of dollars of repairs and maintenance done before they would be capable. There's a reason why they're using artillery and rocket attacks, okay? And that's because artillery shells and rockets are way cheaper than bombers and missiles, for fairly obvious reasons. Um... Yeah, no. The idea that they're the idea that they're capable of just like, oh yeah, ah, oh, we're losing. Time for us to just magically summon two hundred bombers. Not to mention all the necessary equipment to provide air superiority, which they still haven't managed to get over Ukraine. Do you think? Do you think them not getting air superiority over Ukraine on week like three of the invasion, despite starting with a full surround, is like an accident? Like they're like they're waiting to go, like go Super Saiyan and just suddenly secure air superiority. It's very obvious their military strategy hinged on getting air superiority in the first 24 hours, um, and they didn't. Like, it's very obvious that they failed. Their attempt at getting air superiority was just not successful. To get, a good, uh, to get a good idea of how much strategic airlift capacity Russia is utilizing right now, take a look at the Ten, uh, Tegenrog Central Air Base, home of the 708th Guards Military Transport Aviation. Two 19th versus today, the base has been emptied out. Holy shit. Yeah, dude, they're totally just going to summon a massive, like, bomber fleet uh, uh, to destroy Kiev. They're, t they're totally capable of just... <laughs> Jesus. This is from five days ago, too. Yeah, no. Very uninformed take. This guy's overstating the military power of Russia. Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And we were systematically burning Japanese cities to the... Oh, wait. Hiroshima and Nagasaki. He was referring to nukes. Okay. Ground. Why? Because we did not want to invade the Japanese main islands. This, by the way, if you guys have seen Sean's video, this isn't true. I know this is kind of an edge case here, but this guy's an international relations uh, guy. Um, so, yeah, this isn't true. It was a complicated series of events, but this is, yeah. When a great power feels threatened, when it... Not the me. Russians are going to pull out all stops in Ukraine to make sure that they win. And then there's the nuclear dimension to this. Oh, he wasn't referring to nukes before? Okay, whatever. Keep going. I thought Hiroshima and Nagasaki were what we nuked, but you know, whatever. Okay. The Russians have already put their nuclear weapons on high alert. This is a really significant development. because. Okay, this guy is just straight fucking lying to you. Nuclear, uh, sorry, Russia puts its nuclear weapons on high alert every Tuesday. This is just a straight-up lie. The nuclear alert that they've put this on is standard every time they get involved in any kind of conflict. As I understand it, the level of nuclear, um, like, threat that they've prepped their government for right now, it is, like, a pretty standard level for conflict right now. He's trying to frame this like this is exceptional. This dude is straight lying to you. Just straight fucking lying to you. There's no way somebody of this level of education doesn't know that. What they were doing was sending us a very powerful signal. 
as to how seriously they take this crisis and what's going on. They do this every t they do this every time like a trout fish smacks against the hull of one of their poorly maintained ships. They do this every time a gust of wind from Alaska blows a fart into mainland Russia. Okay, they do this. They do this any any time anything happens. So again, if we start winning and the Russians start losing, you want to understand that what we're talking about doing here is backing a nuclear armed great power good that sees what's happening good as an the existential world. Do threat it. Do it. into do a it. corner do it do this it. is really dangerous do it go back to the cuban missile crisis i don't think that what happened in the cuban cuban missile crisis was as threatening to us as this situation is to the russians what russia putting nukes right off the shore of florida wasn't as much of a threat to the United States as Ukraine joining NATO? Delusional. Delusional. Absolutely delusional. This guy is on Russia's payroll. There is no shot. No shot. Delusional. Absolutely. Seriously? Senile old fuck. Jesus Christ. Glue huffing. But if you go back and look at how American decision makers thought at the time, they were scared stiff. They thought that Soviet missiles in Cuba was an existential threat. And they were willing, many of Kennedy's advisors, to use our nuclear arsenal against the Soviet Union. That's how serious great powers get when they think they face existential Yeah, for the Cuban Missile Crisis, not for fucking Ukraine. Jesus Christ! threats. So in my opinion, we are in a very dangerous situation. I think the likelihood of nuclear war is very small, but the likelihood doesn't have to be high for me to be really scared because of the consequences associated with nuclear use. So we better be extreme. Notice how not a single thing he has to say is like, hey, Russia, maybe don't like invade countries and threaten nuclear war. Maybe don't end the world because you don't get to conquer a neighboring country. Extremely careful here. Regard Don't judge him too hard. He was doubtlessly alive to maximize his leaded gas intake for decades. Yeah, guys, don't be too mean, okay? They didn't start legislating against lead paint until long after this guy was born, all right? So, <laughs> so just keep in mind his lived experiences. <laughs> ...what we do in terms of pushing the Russians into the corner. But again, I'm not sure that's going to happen. Because I think what's going to happen here is that in a competition between us and the Russians, the Russians will win. Yeah, did this guy get his PhD back in the day when all you had to do was, like, walk up to the professor as a white dude and go, like, Do I got gumption, sir? And, and he'd go, Yeah, you, you got gumption, kid. I like the, 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 the jig of your sprite or something. And, and then they would just give you a fucking... And then you get a firm handshake, you know? It was it was the back of the day when that was that's how you got a PhD. I, I, don't, I don't know. Now you're saying to yourself, why is he saying that? I think that if you uh, wait, he didn't just say Russians win versus the U.S. Did he? Hold on. Think about I think what's going to happen here is that in a competition between us and the Russians, the Russians will win. Now you're saying to yourself, why is he? I gotta say, guys. I have never been a nationalist of any sort, you know? Like, I'll meme about it, but I genuinely despise this hellhole of a country. I really genuinely do. That being said, people like this 
make me want to go stars and bars all over the fucking world, okay? Because right now, the idea of the American military intervening in Ukraine is literally like the most orgasmic shit in the fucking world, okay? Holy shit. The idea of, uh, of, the, of the Russian, like, armored fleet getting fucking atomized next to our infinitely superior military capacity is just so... You know what the difference is between Russia and America's nuclear arsenals? Russia's is larger, ours work. I guarantee you if they ever decide to push the big red button, okay? The, the first... Listen, okay? Russia, ha Russia is actually unparalleled in its nuclear options, okay? Because they actually have non-mutually assured destruction proof first strike capabilities against their own country because the moment they hit the red button half of the nuclear warheads they have attached to those ICBMs are going to fall over and detonate right there in the fucking launch pad okay it's incredible they've actually found a way to end the war before it begins <laughs> you know we're gonna we're gonna see that Washington is gonna see the ICBMs flying towards the rest of the world, and they're gonna be going like, "Fuck, what do we do? Do we do we hit the button?" And then we're going to look at like the map, the 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 world map, and Russia's already gone. And it's like, nope, there's no need to do anything. Get people to their bomb shelters, okay? Because we they 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 settled this already. <laughs> Look at the half-life of tritium. Half their thermonuclear arsenal is probably useless now due to poor maintenance. Listen, if Russia hit the red button, it would be very bad. Very, so unimaginably bad, okay? But for the 13 minutes we would have to enjoy hearing about the news before the world ends, I would, I will take great delight in, in hearing, like, what, you know, like, like, the text alerts, like, missile alert, this is not a drill, get to shelter, and then the follow-up, like, it, it, it's going to be like, here are all the cities being targeted, like, you know, missile alert headed towards Washington, Seattle, Los Angeles, Chicago, you know, and then, it, and then like, update, no missile headed towards Chicago, update, no missile headed towards London, update, no, you know, it's like, it's like, oh, <laughs> it's like, it's, they're just fucking falling. <laughs> it's like, oh, yep, okay. Finally, one ICBM hits, and it, it fucking wipes out Miami. And honestly, we lose Russia, we lose Miami. Let's go. Build back better. All right, let's move forward. Sorry, why, why would America lose to Russia? He's saying that. I think that if you uh, think about this, you want to think about who has the greater resolve. Right? Who, You're who kidding. Who really cares more about this situation? Ukraine. The or the Americans. Ukraine. The Americans do not care that much about Ukraine. The Americans have made it clear they are not even willing to fight and die for Ukraine. That's why our resolve is irrelevant. Wait, why are you talking about American resolve when all we're doing is selling them weapons? Ukrainian resolve is the thing that matters here. It's Ukrainian resolve versus Russian resolve. And by the time this video was recorded, there were already reports of Russian um, soldiers deserting. Dude, Russia lost a two-star general like yesterday, they lost a lieutenant general, literally one of the highest military ranks in the entire Russian army. They lost one yesterday. So it's not that important to us. For the Russians, they have made it clear it's an existential threat. So the balance of resolve, I believe, favors them. What about so Ukraine? As we walk up the escalation ladder moving forward, my guess, and it's just my guess, is that the Russians will prevail, not the Americans, and the Russians will prevail because the balance of resolve favors them.
America isn't in this war. We're not in this war. We're just giving weapons to the... Isn't it incredible that this conflict is about an invasion of Ukraine and he has not once talked about Ukraine? He's not talked about what they want. He's not talked about what they do. He's not talked about what they can do. He's only... America, all we've done here is sell weapons to Ukraine. And Godspeed. Now, the question is, who loses this war? Uh, I think it doesn't matter much to the United States if we lose in the sense that the Russians prevail in Ukraine. I think the real losers in this war are the Ukrainians. And I think what's happening... If only something could have been done to prevent that. Here is we have led the Ukrainians down the primrose path. Unbelievable. Literally unbelievable. These fucking monsters. These pieces of shit. I wish I could spit in their faces. I wish I could step on this guy's no doubt expensive RT Bucks paid shoes. Maybe he's getting back in the YouTube now that RT has shut down all of its American like fucking outlets. Have... Oh, I didn't mean to hit like unpause or whatever. Ukraine doesn't want to be invaded by Russia. All on its own, actually. Pushed very hard to encourage the Ukrainians to want to become part of NATO. They wanted We've it. Pushed very hard to make them part of No, we didn't. We denied them. We've denied them for over like for, for over a decade. We didn't push very hard for it. We've denied them multiple times. NATO. We have pushed very hard to make them a Western bulwark on Russia's borders. Despite the They want to be with the EU, the protests that ousted that Russian puppet were because he was siding against the EU. In fact, the Russians made it clear that this was unacceptable to them. We had effect, and here I'm- Oh, that's so hard for the Russians. Oh, a neighboring democracy is, is choosing its allies, and they're not just a puppet of ours? Oh, that, oh, what an existential threat to Russia. We're talking about the West. We took a stick and we poked a bear in the eye. Oh my fucking and as you God. you all know, if you take a stick and you poke a bear in the eye, that bear is probably not going to smile and laugh at what you're doing. That bear is probably going to fight back. And that's exactly what's happening here. And that bear is going to tear apart Ukraine. That bear is in the process of tearing apart Ukraine. And again, we go back to where we started. Ukraine. Who bears responsibility for this? Do the Russians bear responsibility for this? I don't think so. There's no question the Russians... Literally, he doesn't think Russians bear responsibility for invading the country. Okay, we've, we've watched this video, and obviously it's really bad, but the reason I wanted to watch this video isn't just because this guy is literally the loudest voice in favor of pro-Russian propaganda. Video here, top right, 22 million views, most of which came from the past couple of weeks. The main reason I wanted to is because I'm sick of people framing this guy as some kind of impartial realist analyst who is not letting his emotions or political biases get in the way, and he's not talking about morals, and he's only talking very flatly about how to minimize harm. This is factually incorrect. That video had as much truth to it uh, as like an RT like state broadcast. And this like this guy's behavior, it's, it's of a propagandist, not a PhD. If I debated this guy, he would be fucking crushed. I could crush that guy. I could fucking demolish this guy. So much of the shit that he said there was factually incorrect. I would just have to read up a little bit on pre-2014 Ukrainian Russian history and a little bit more about um, Putin's presidency to learn more about like the imperialist rhetoric he engaged in before. But that's a pretty easy brush up. And I know even the broad strokes are enough for me to know he's wrong. I can't wait for... um. 
I can't wait for uh, for Ukraine to uh, kick the, the fucking Russians out or whatever, however long it takes. I don't care how many years it takes. I can't wait for them to win so that people like this can spend the rest of their life molding about it. Oh yeah, here. Here's a, here's a Russian helicopter that has Onward to Berlin uh, painted on its fucking, um, painted on its fucking hole. Yeah, dude, to totally not hyped up on expansionist um, imperialism. Yeah, no shot. No shot. No fucking shot. Please react, Richard Wolf dogshit Ukraine video. I don't want to... <sighs> Richard Wolf. This was before the invasion began. This was uh, January 27th. I would look at something if it was like post that. Maybe I will later, but not right now. Um, yeah. Should have asked me about Ukrainian resolve because... um. I was in Kharkiv not too long ago. It's sad that helicopter never made it back to base. Yeah, it's a shame. It's a shame that statistically speaking, all this wonderful equipment and paintwork is currently a flaming wreck of rubble somewhere in the fields of East Ukraine, you know? Jesus. I really hope I can talk to Marshimer, dude. Mirsheimer, whatever. Write him an email. Yes, I know how to contact professionals. Thank you. Um, all right, good memes, good memes. That particular helicopter is confirmed to be shot down in Ukraine. Is that true? Legitimately? That's rad. I hope the person who painted it on that helicopter died. Probably wasn't the pilot, though. Um, can Ukraine actually win? At this point in the war, I genuinely think Ukraine is capable of winning, even if it's very unlikely. Not because Ukraine's military is larger than Russia's. It's not. Not even close, but rather because, well, two main things. First of all, Russia does not have the money to field its military. They don't. They're not giving Russia's troops uh, enough in the way of rations or food. They're not giving their tanks enough gas. And they were running into these problems like four days in, you know? These problems are only going to worsen with time. Um, uh, additionally, a lot of the equipment that Russia has is sitting on the back burner and can't be used because Russia can't afford to keep it in an operational state. Keeping planes and tanks and like armored vehicles ready for combat is very expensive. The majority of America's military budget doesn't go towards constructing new tanks. It goes to maintaining existing tanks, paying wages, keeping everything properly, you know, kept up. Literally hundreds of billions of dollars every year in our military goes just towards maintenance. And Russia's military, at least in terms of the number of vehicles and personnel they have, is like the size of ours, basically, in terms of the number of personnel and vehicles they have. Their military budget is a fraction of our size. So I feel like for a while they've been a paper tiger where, you know, oh, we have thousands of tanks. Well, OK, how many of those tanks can can drive? You know, oh, we have thousands of planes. OK, how many of them can fly? That is one thing. Second thing, America just funded an additional aid package to Ukraine, which includes, I'm not kidding here, 25,000 helmets and pieces of body armor, 2,000 Javelin missile launch platforms, thousands and thousands of rifles and pistols, ammunitions and everything, 2,000 Javelins, they're going to have more Javelins than Russia has tanks. Not just Javelin missiles. Javelin missile launchers. That's not even to speak of the missiles they have. 
they're going to start using these javelins on armored cars. They're going to use them on fucking random people. The the you know that meme of like the guy carrying 18 like javelin missile launch platforms in his arms like wandering around and it was like average like uh Ukrainian like private wandering around the Donbass region or something. The the Ukrainian soldiers are going to be firing javelins at like jeeps <laughs> it's, gonna, it's like they have so much now they have so much now i don't think it's likely that ukraine wins i'm only saying i think it's possible you know and a possible victory for ukraine is so much more than any reasonable person was predicting a month ago, you know? Yeah, they're gonna be javelin bird hunting. They're gonna be trying to, like, manually steer javelin missiles at, like, planes, you know? They're gonna see a dot up in the sky and go like, eh, yeah, why not, you know? <laughs> um, so, so, you know, Godspeed. Even if Russia wins, the insurgency will fuck them up. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. 100%, 100%. Um, oh, here's the uh, helicopter that's been downed. Is this it? Oh, yeah, this is that picture. Based. Oh, no. Man, helicopters are so big. Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. Where is that, um, where is that hilarious picture of the guy carrying all those javelin missile launchers? Come on, it's, I saw it all over the place on non-credible defense. It's gotta be... Gotta be somewhere here. It's possible, Moondog. Like I said, there's no guarantee that Ukraine's gonna win. I'm just saying, they have more of a shot than I ever thought they did. Where's the, where's the full details on... Um, uh, where's the... Uh, where's the full details on that aid package? Hold on. Um, Biden... Military aid Ukraine, and it was from like two days ago, I think. Here, fact sheet on U.S. security assistance, $800 million. Okay, this is what I'm talking about, guys, okay? The equipment we're sending Ukra uh, Ukraine is not just like cheapo Russian equipment that's been like sitting there since the Soviet era. Like, this is top-of-the-line stuff, you know? 800, 800 Stinger missile launch platforms... 2,000 javelin platforms, 1,000 light anti-armor weapons, and 6,084 anti-armor systems, 100 tactical unmanned aerial systems, 100 grenade launchers, 5,000 rifles, 1,000 pistols, 400 machine guns, and 400 shotguns, over 20 million rounds of small arms ammunition and grenade launcher and mortar rounds, and then 25,000 uh, 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 sets of body armor and helmet, respectively. And that, in addition to all this, we're basically doubling the number of Javelin and more than doubling the number of Stinger missile systems they have, you know? Yeah, seriously. For, for so long, we thought um, Russia had the second strongest military in the world, and it turns out they have the second strongest military in Ukraine, you know? Um, it's, uh, it, is, it is absolutely wild. Is the Javelin platform a Javelin missile? No, the platform is the launcher. Um, a Javelin platform costs like millions of dollars. The missile is about 100k per, I think. Um, I think Stinger missile systems are, um, are even more expensive. I think the, the Stinger missiles are... Um, the, or the system, the missile system. Shouldn't you be worried about US military industrial complex profiting off this, though? I mean, not, not really. Like... I, I mean, there are always going to be companies that make weapons, right? If 
there are companies that make weapons. I, I'm more concerned about how those weapons are used than the existence of the weapons themselves, I guess. You know, like, like these things are going to happen anyway, but like, if they're, if they're going to Ukraine, I mean, like, all right, you know, hell yeah. Here's the post about that private carrying javelins. I don't actually, okay, these aren't actually javelins. I think they're just general, like, anti-tank weapons. But yeah, here we go. This is le least equipped uh, um, Ukrainian uh, scout. <laughs> Right after the Biden deal comes through, you know, this is it's like, all right, here you go. This is our, this is our, our, our least dangerous. <laughs> Those might be the stingers. I think stingers are a lot um, larger. Aren't stingers a two man team? I think um, javelin missile platforms have a larger um, flared end, like uh, the, like anal toys. I think these are end laws. End laws are British, right? Yeah. This is like 300 pounds. Yeah, I will admit, this guy, is, this guy definitely does his deadlifts. Yeah, these are in-laws? Yeah, okay. Here, how much does a cost of javelin missile system? Can I buy one? Uh, okay, wait. A missile costs, oh, nearly 200,000. Okay, wait. How much does, um, how much does a, a javelin Missile plat platform? Platform. Uh, I'm not getting a price for it. Okay, the cost of a missile is about 175000 That is so expensive. Um, it's called the CLU. Uh, the launch unit? Something launch unit? Uh, FGM-148 Javelin. What is the cost? The unit cost only says the cost of a missile. Is it, like, classified how much it costs to buy the weapon itself? I, I guess you can't exactly buy these, like, commercially. Honestly, the missile is probably more expensive. Really? Here, let me see. What about, um, cost of Stinger... Missile platform. What about that? Okay, a st wow, a Stinger missile is only thirty-eight thousand. Oh, that was in nineteen eighty. Nowadays, it's about one hundred twenty thousand. Okay, that makes a bit more sense. One seventy-eight k per missile. I know the missile cost. I'm talking about the platform itself, the launcher. Um, per unit cost about one hundred twenty. Okay, whatever, whatever. This isn't relevant. Listen, the point is that Mershimer is dumb and I'm smart, okay? We all good? We get that? Everyone agree? I agree. I believe that. It has all tech in the missile, right? Um, I don't know. Is all the tech in the missile, or does the launch platform communicate with the missile over a short distance, and the platform itself does the um, location uh, uh, finding? I don't actually know. I don't, I don't know how, how the tech actually works. Um, I feel like it's just a tube to yeet it. Okay, gotcha. That's funny. For Javelin, it's all missile, kind of. Okay, all right. That's crazy. Oh, the Javelin costs 178 including the launch system and missile. Every replacement missile costs around 78 Oh, that's not what the Wikipedia article said, but... Okay. <clears throat> gotcha. Thank you. Um... All right, gotcha. Interesting. You know, that's a pretty good deal 
$78,000 to destroy a tank? That's a pretty good deal. That's good. I could buy... Wait. I can afford, before I pay taxes, one javelin launcher and missile. I can afford one. Uh, uh, like, the pair. Before I pay taxes. After I pay taxes, no shot. Okay? I don't know, guys. Are they legal? Is there a law in Washington State that explicitly says it's not legal? Probably not. We'll look into it. Yeah, we'll see. That's a good smart buy. I, 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 can, I can practically... I can't afford not to buy it. <laughs> you know? Vosh, uh, don't evade taxes. Okay, hold on. But what does a Javelin missile system do but protect you from the consequences of tax evasion? Hmm? You think they're gonna you think they're gonna show up and arrest a guy who who they know has a javelin missile launch platform? Hmm. Just can't, yeah, come come collect your taxes. <laughs> Libertarian moment. 